Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded May 16th, 2022. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. This week in the podcast, our latest thoughts on economic expectations, sentiment, and valuations. The big things you need to know? First, the S&P is still trading as though it's experiencing a growth scare, a framework that's been pointing to downside in the index to around 3850. Current trends in economic forecasts continue to support the idea that this is the right way to think about how far stocks should fall. Second, institutional investor sentiment has made significant progress catching down to retail investor sentiment, with overall U.S. equity futures positioning among asset managers now below 2020 and great financial crisis lows and getting close to the 2011 and 2015-2016 lows, something that makes the case for a bottoming in stocks relatively soon if recession fears can be kept at bay. Third, while valuations aren't yet a reason to buy U.S. equities on their own, they're no longer a problem for the market as a whole. If you'd like to hear more, here's another six minutes. While you're waiting, a quick reminder that if you find this podcast and our research helpful, we'd appreciate your support in the 2022 Institutional Investor All-America Research Survey in the Portfolio Strategy category when voting opens later this month. Now the details. Takeaway number one, the S&P is still trading like we're in a growth scare. Despite how much worse the tape has felt, the S&P closed on Thursday to just 18.1% below its early January high. With that move, the S&P's decline has been a little worse than the average post-Great Financial Crisis growth scare, the declines of 2010, 2011, 2015, 16, and late 2018. But it hasn't been quite as bad as the more extreme ones in that set, 2011, which saw markets fall 19.4%, and 2018, which saw a 19.8% drop. The duration of the early 2022 drawdown is also getting close to the average duration of other major post-financial crisis growth scares. As we've highlighted before, if the S&P 500's decline this time around matches the late 2018 drawdown, the index would fall to around 3850, a level the S&P came close to hitting but failed to breach intraday on May 12th. In this context, we think the S&P 500 is currently at an important crossroads. If 3850 doesn't hold, we think the equity market will be telling us that it's starting to price in a recession. If that happens, the key number to keep in mind is 3200, which represents a 32% drop from the January high, right in line with the average drawdown seen in past recessions since the 1920s. Though we remain mindful that risks to the economy have grown, it makes sense to us that the S&P is attempting to stabilize just as it's approaching the outer band of growth scare territory. While recession expectations among economic forecasters have inched up recently per Bloomberg, they're still only on par with another post-Great Financial Crisis growth scare, 2011s. GDP forecasts on the street have also been pulled down, but are still slightly above trend for 2022 and are still tracking north of 2% for 2023, at least at the moment. Meanwhile, U.S. economic surprises are still in positive territory. Additionally, high-frequency economic indicators like dining, flying, back-to-work, and same-store sales do remain stable. Freight rates have also come down sharply from their highs. And inflation expectations are retreating. We don't blame the stock market for wanting to see evidence of an unraveling economically before pricing it in, given how frequently the economy and U.S. consumer have been more resilient than expected in recent years. And as for the Fed and the fear that they'll tighten too aggressively, our economics team wrote last week that it's fair to wonder if the Fed will even get to neutral. We think Powell is growing worried about the degree to which the economy is going to slow. More specifically, they think Powell's dovish side is likely to reemerge once the Fed starts to hear more about job losses. Moving on to takeaway number two, 
institutional investor sentiment has made significant progress in catching down to retail investor sentiment. In our last spotlight, we noted that while retail investor bearishness on equities has been extreme, such that it's been sending a contrarian buy signal for the S&P 500, that simply hasn't been the case for institutional investors. And it may have simply been that in order for the U.S. equity market to find a bottom, institutional investors have needed to catch down to retail. Today, there's been no meaningful change in the sentiment for retail investors, where net bearishness remains at the deepest levels we've seen since the financial crisis. Important progress has been made on the institutional side, however. The main way that we monitor institutional investor sentiment is by tracking the weekly CFTC data on asset manager positioning and U.S. equity futures. Importantly, when we aggregate the data for all of the major contracts, we find that notional positioning is now below 2020 and great financial crisis lows. Though it's still technically above 2011 and 2015-2016's lows, it's gotten much, much closer to them in recent weeks. Note that when we look at specific contracts among asset managers, we've seen significant progress towards past extreme lows in S&P 500 futures positioning in particular, which have been the main area that needed to catch down according to our previous updates. On a notional basis, S&P 500 futures positioning is now approaching great financial crisis 2011, 2018, and 2020 lows, though it does remain a bit above its 2015-2016 lows. Additionally, Russell 2000 futures positioning has already returned to its financial crisis lows on a notional basis, and Dow futures positioning has actually fallen a bit below its own financial crisis lows on a notional basis. Elsewhere on the sentiment front, we're continuing to keep a close eye on the VIX and the equity put call ratio, as well as crypto. On the VIX and equity put call ratios, we continue to note that while they've been elevated, they haven't quite reached many of their post-financial crisis peaks, perhaps arguing that institutional sentiment hasn't fully unwound just yet. On crypto, which we view as another barometer of sentiment that matters to the stock market, we point out that Bitcoin and the S&P 500 have been positively correlated in recent years for the most part. We also note that Bitcoin tends to peak well ahead of the S&P 500, in effect serving as a leading indicator at the top. Unfortunately, Bitcoin doesn't provide the same kind of long lead for stocks at the troughs. In addition to the trends in crypto, we'll be keeping an eye on how recent problems in crypto may have impacted consumer perceptions of their own wealth and possible reverberations in spending. We'll also be keeping an eye on any impact in the labor market, either from job cuts or adding supply back to the labor force due to impacts on perceived wealth. One data point that we find comforting regarding crypto and the potential for broader financial market contagion, public company references to crypto and blockchain in earnings and conference transcripts over the last few months have paled in comparison to the references made to the China trade war and tariffs back in 2018 and 2019, suggesting to us that crypto poses less fundamental risk than even that development to the U.S. equity backdrop. Wrapping up with takeaway number three, valuations are no longer a problem for the stock market. One thing that emerged for the S&P 500 last week was that all top-down versions of the S&P 500 P.E. multiple that we track, the P.E. against last year's earnings, this year's earnings, and next year's earnings, moved to levels slightly below their long-term averages. Though the stock market doesn't look deeply undervalued on any of these three P.E.s yet, we do think this is an important milestone nevertheless since it sends the message that stocks are no longer expensive and valuations are no longer a problem. 
On this topic, it's also worth noting that the relative P.E. multiples of the baskets of the most popular stocks and hedge funds that we tracked, as measured against the median S&P 500 stock, have returned to 2018-2019 levels, though not pandemic lows. While valuations aren't a reason to own U.S. equities yet, they're no longer a reason to avoid them. Overall, while downside risks haven't evaporated, the preponderance of the evidence that we're looking at makes us comfortable doing some bargain hunting today. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our sister podcast, RBC's Industries in Motion, for sector-specific thoughts from RBC's team of equity analysts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives. Music